0: Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a show about building black and brown wealth through entrepreneurship. Welcome to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. And we are excited today to talk and interview with one of our own, McKeever Mac Conwell, to talk about his new fund, that I have been watching him actively on Twitter. I don't know if you know this, but I was keeping an eye on you on Twitter, how you were raising this fund. Uh, he, and he was out there every single day. It seemed like every hour, Max. So we cannot wait to hear what you have to say. And um, let's, let's let's start this show off with you.
1: How's it going, guys? It's, just good to, it's good to be here. It's a little weird to be on the other side, you know. <laughs> Y'all interviewing me today, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it works. I'm excited to talk about Rare Breed, Rare Breed Ventures, and you know, how it came to be, and all the good stuff.
2: Mac, you've been wanting to launch a fund for a really long time, and so we are so excited to celebrate this with you. But why don't you tell us a little bit about the origin story? Take us back. Like, how did you decide you wanted to raise a fund? Where did that come from? So,
1: you know, a uh, I, when I was working for the state of Maryland and working for their investment arm, you know, I, I was getting, I was, you know, putting in the work and learning to be a good investor. And I originally wanted to build my career and get a job at a firm, you know, get the good paying job and maybe go work in Silicon Valley or something. But, um, something happened. It's really two founders who changed my life. Um, one's a woman based in Baltimore who had an idea for one of the most amazing products I'd ever heard, but nobody wanted to support her. Nobody wanted to help her because she was too early. She didn't have money to get a prototype done because it was a physical product. And so after trying to support her for like two and a half, three years, she decided to take her fate into her own hands and, and get the money to build her product. And so she became a surrogate mother. She literally gave birth to twins to get the money she needed to get the prototype of her product bill and i thought that was crazy and ridiculous uh-huh. um and so i told myself i never wanted to see that happen again especially because of how unique and valuable the product she's looking to make is like she has the potential to be a category definer something that every vc looks for but you know nobody wanted to back her um and then and then it so sounds like maybe a year ago that happened and so that's kind of like the spark of like, I need to do a fund. Cause like I couldn't think of another fund that could have worked out and made that investment. And then in June, I started getting more active on Twitter. And whenever I get active on Twitter, I would always get a bunch of um, entrepreneurs who would reach out to me. And this one founder based in Dallas, Texas, reached out to me building a really incredible product called RoboAmp that basically essentially allows a website to load a lot faster. Uh well he says with one line of code he can make any website load in the second OS. It's an amazing concept, amazing product from an amazing founder. He had revenue, he had you know customers, he had partnerships, he was doing all the things you're supposed to do, but he wasn't getting funding. And so again, I got upset. But there was no way for me to make the investment from the state. So I started to kind of pull some investors together to do a one-off investment in his company. And one of my advisors told me that they didn't want to invest in that one company. They wanted to invest in every company that I found. So they wanted to give me money to start a fund. And it was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to start a fund, <laughs> right? Um, and so that's kind of the, the origin stories of how Rare Breed Ventures came in.
0: Now, how did you come up with the name Rare Breed? I don't know. I just got lucky. <laughs> it was just like, I, I had a
1: different name that I thought was really cool. but. I don't know. That name wasn't working out. So I was like, ah, Rare Breed, that sounds good. So it was just it was just a random thought that worked out. I got lucky. <laughs>
0: a random thought. Yes.
1: <laughs> That's exactly what it was.
0: Thousands and thousands of money <laughs> to come up with a name. Um, I actually like it. I think it's a very uh, catchy name. Um, why are you why did you decide to use Twitter? As a tool to fundraise? Because uh, how many people have done that? Well, what made you decide to go that route? I
1: don't know. I don't know if anybody else has done it. Uh, it was, again, like that was by accident. It just so happened that when I was thinking about wanting to raise a fund and really trying to put some effort into it, um, I had started just writing on Twitter consistently. When I told myself, for whatever reason, I was going to be consistent for like two or three weeks and see what happened. And I noticed as I was doing it and I was gaining more and more followers that a good portion of my followers were other VCs. And so I just made it a point that, you know, I wanted to grow my network. So if you were a VC and you follow me, I would send you a note for us to have a meeting. And as I started doing that, I started getting people who were committing to putting money into the fund and wanting to be investors. And so from there, I was just like, okay, well, I guess we're going to keep this going. <laughs> and so it just, it just kind of happened. Like, I saw that something was working. I just kept doing it. That's all I didn't plan it out that way. I wasn't expecting it. It just, it just happened. So, once I noticed that it was working, I just stuck with it. And now it's, it's grown to a thing where my Twitter following is like as true value to what I do. Did you use any other platforms besides Twitter? Or was it was just
0: Twitter. That's awesome.
1: It was just Twitter. I mean, I've gotten now, like, you know, I get some people who reach out to me on LinkedIn. Right, but mostly almost all of it was Twitter for sure.
2: And we should probably say that <clears throat> you know, there are rules about raising money on different platforms. And um, just to be clear, Mac was saying he was talking to people individually and not actually raising on that you platform, know, just to
0: right. make no, no, it no, no, no. clear. <laughs> about that. Our group, so she's keeping us honest.
1: So I'll say that, right? But I can say this I was raising money on that platform because I'm raising the 506c designation, I can publicly disclose. Y'all can know I am actively raising money. I can I can literally go on Twitter and be like, I'm raising money, y'all. Somebody give me money. Generally speaking, most funds can't do that because the average fundraiser is under the five hundred six the five hundred six b designation, which doesn't allow for public solicitation. But you know, I'm just a different kind of person. So
2: nice. Well,
1: I appreciate the lawyer trying to stop me here, but nah,
2: I can talk about it. I love that. So let's talk about that. Then then you kind of thought through like the how, how you, what platforms you were going to use, what you could say and how you could say it and where. Um, Because I do know that like the, um, I mean, SEC rules have broadened, right? There are new things that are possible now. And historically, you know, you still have to be careful when you're fundraising and make sure you're kind of dotting your I's and crossing your T's. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what you chose and how you, how you're doing it.
1: Again, this is all by accident, right? So like, these things just keep happening. So what happened was around the time I was thinking about raising my fund, uh, I met another um, investor who was raising a fund on Angel's List under this thing called a rolling fund. When she told me about it, it was before it had been announced to become a really big thing, but like rolling funds are now a really popular thing. So what Angel's List did was they created a way for um, fund managers to raise a fund publicly. Under the 506C designation and allow people to basically subscribe into the fund. So basically, you do it, you set a subscription for amount of quarters, like yearly quarters, to invest into a fund. And so that was really interesting to me. Um, and at the time I was building up my Twitter following. And so I recognized that the ability to talk about raising funds publicly would be a real advantage. But then when I dug into the rolling fund, I didn't like the way they did LP returns. So basically the way it works is somebody can subscribe to your fund for however many quarters they want, right? You can set a minimum. It could be four quarters, it could be eight quarters. What have? Well, I knew a lot of my earliest LPs were going to be fairly small checks because these were people who really supported me and known me over my journey over the last 10 years. And they probably would subscribe for four quarters, right? For one year. Well, the problem is if I invest in a company and like, queue in like quarter five or quarter six of the life cycle of the fund, those investors who only subscribe for the first four quarters don't get any of the returns for any of the companies I do after that. Um, as opposed to a traditional fund where they get access to the returns from any company I invest in out of that fund. And so I didn't like the way that was done. So I looked to the, uh, trying to figure out how I could do the same thing, but from a traditional fund. And when you take a step back and think about it, most of the advantages from a rolling fund are just uh, technological and front facing. All the disadvantages are structural. So I figured, you know, okay, we can do a traditional fund and just do 506C designation. Anybody can do that. So you can publicly disclose, but by publicly disclosing it means that you, all your investors must be accredited investors, right? So I cannot have any non-accredited investors as opposed to other, the, the B designation, you can have up to 35 unaccredited investors, right? So that's one disadvantage, but I don't mind that because most of the people I was going to work with, we were going to be accredited investors, right? So um, I figured, okay, we can do on the 506C designation, Um, I use Carta as my fund administrator, fund administration in the back end, and Carta has a partnership with a company called Anduin. And what Anduin does is they take your subscription docs and turn them into a guided e-signature process, like very specialized for those legal documentation so so we basically me and my team basically put up a website that has a button that says become an lp if you click on that button and you fill out a simple form it takes you directly to our subscription docs where you can fill it out so literally you could sign up to be an investor in rare breed ventures and have never talked to me or never met me. and we have had people go through that process after seeing me tweet about it which has been pretty incredible right and then the last piece was within the rolling funds is you get access to the capital from that first capital call right away, right? And so what we did with Carter was we set it up so that we do weekly rolling closes. So every Friday, we do a close. So as people, you know, decide to invest in Rare Breed and they fill out the documents, that Friday, you'll get the information to send, to, to send the wire, right? And so we don't have any specific closing dates. We just, we get access to capital as people, you know, commit to the fund. Um, and so that just came from, I wanted to, I saw what the rolling funds were doing. I thought that was really unique and creative, but I saw there were some shortcomings. So I tried to, you know, sure up the shortcomings by creating a different way of doing it. And so that's, that's kind of how we got it here. So now I can publicly talk about it. So, you know, now I'm writing blogs about the fund and I'm putting up links on Twitter and telling people, Hey, if you want to be an investor, click the link, you know, um, which has been pretty cool. So,
2: so I want to. Anchor a couple of things that you've said. You have said, Oh, I got really lucky, or Oh, I just thought of this, or whatever. And, and <clears throat> you know, luck favors the prepared, right? And you have managed to be in a lot of the right place at the right time, but that's because you've done the work. I mean, you've really done the background work to be able to be ready to do this. And so I want to tackle that from two different sides. And one is, kind of the internal mental side, because I think it says something when someone can say, yeah, you know, give me several hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars or whatever, and I can handle it and I'll, I'll run with it, right? And, um, and I'll speak for myself, at least for somebody who, who came up the way I did, that takes some mental energy, right? So that's that's the mental side. So I definitely want to tackle that. But I also want to tackle the practical side which is you've done a lot of work to get ready on the practical side of things too, right? Including a VC bootcamp and VC include, and, you got, and you've done a lot of work with Tedco. You actually raised money for Tedco and so forth and so on. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to take you back even a little further than the origin story of somebody saying, hey, I want to invest in any companies you find because you actually built that skill set to do that. So talk to us about how you got into funds to begin with and how that became possible for you and some of those skills that if somebody were like, damn, this mat cat is pretty darn cool, but someday I'd like to do what he does. Like, what what would you say to them and and what did you do to get ready for
1: this? The advice I would give them is very different than what I do, right? Because, again, like, my path is nothing but, like, serendipity <laughs> all the way through. <laughs> but like, I don't know if you could, even if you wanted to, you could recreate it, right? So, like, so I'm a software engineer.
2: Yeah. No, so I'm a fair enough. but I also, I also want to give you credit, Mac, because I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. Like, this is not just serendipity. You did a lot so of work. There's a lot work of
1: work, on. but like, so I'm a software engineer by trade, right? So I'm in tech, right? And then one of my best friends went on to become a tech entrepreneur. And so me and another group of my friends decided to do the same thing. So I didn't go on to have two startups. One I exited, one didn't. But when I had my startups, I learned everything there was about entrepreneurship and I learned about VCs and pitching, raising money, all that. And I also got to help other entrepreneurs raise money, pitch and all the good stuff. Right. So I was in this ecosystem. I got to meet a lot of entrepreneurs and I got to see what worked and didn't work. And so i was starting to get a framework for what I thought made a successful entrepreneur and did not And then um, I had a job at a marketing firm for a year here in Baltimore after my second company didn't work out. And I ended up quitting that job, and the and like I quit that job on a Friday because they got a customer that I didn't agree with politically, and that Monday, I saw an email from Techco saying that they were hiring a new fund manager, and so i like at the time when I quit my job from that marketing firm, I had no clue what I was going to do next. I just knew that I was a software engineer, and I had like a valuable skill set, and I could get a job somewhere. That's all I knew. I didn't have any grand ideas of being an investor or anything like that wasn't even really on the radar at that moment um it was just there um and so i applied and you know i used all the tricks of the trade right so like i got all the major you know um people in the baltimore tech community to write me letters of recommendation i got board members of tech code to write me letters of recommendation i did everything i needed to do to get an interview right and then for the interviewers, it's up to me to prove that like I understood and knew how to evaluate startups, and so that got me the job. And when I first got started, I was on the seed investment team. So I'm on the early stage investment team. Um, you know, investing in companies here in the state of Maryland, and I got a crash course in all of this, like in, in evaluating tons of companies in a short amount of time. But while I was there at Tedco they were having issues of, they wanted to invest in more black led startups. And so that led me to leading the initiative to create what's now known as the Builder Fund, which is a pre-seed fund specifically for women and minority led companies, right? Um, The first year was a pilot program where we did just black led companies. And so that got me to build up my skill set of working specifically with uh, pre-seed companies and super early companies and evaluating those. And you know, I made a bunch of mistakes along the way um and also along the way, I learned a lot and i and i and i I picked some really good companies along the way too, and so I did that for two years and um, running that fund, and then I spent the year doing portfolio management, really working with all the portfolios at Teco so Teco I think at the time had nine different funding programs, so supporting companies across all those funding programs. We're also doing entrepreneurial education in the state. And so I got to build up my skill set of being out in the community a lot and talking to a lot of different entrepreneurs at many different stages. And so, you know, I got the chance to start to build up this muscle of what it is to be a good investor.
2: At least I think I'm a good investor.
0: Mac, also, people, there were people out there along the way that helped you. Um, you had mentors. You also were very much involved in the D.C. and Baltimore communities. It was both. Um, how did some of those people people help you along the way to get to where you are today?
1: So, you're not going to get me on here, like, trying to name folks so I'm going to end up missing people, right? So no, you don't say-
0: name anybody, but you can just talk about... You know how they helped you i wasn't really expecting me name anyone
1: there's no way to really make it in this like like venture capital and, and tech startups in general is very much a relationship business so like along the way i had a lot of advisors and mentors who supported me who you know sent job offers my way who wrote letters of recommendations who gave me advice who told me where to go to get you know some training and education like I'll I'll say this, Melissa Bradley is the one who told me to go to Deal Camp, which is um a VC training program. And uh because of that, I ended up applying for VC Unlocked, which is um a program that's a partnership between 500 Startups and Stanford University. And they're the same and 500 also runs the Deal Camp program. So VC Unlocked is the 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 longer version of the program, it's a 2-week program. And because of her recommendation, I applied and got established at the go to that. My classmates probably account for close to half a million dollars worth of funding in my fund. Right? Like the 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 people I met through that program are now investors in my friend and also good friends of mine and great sources of deal flow with things like Melissa Bradley's the one who told me go do that, right? And like, you know. Melissa's been doing this thing, been doing this this investment thing for a long time. And, you know, she was one of those people who supported me. Um, I'll also say when I saw that email from Tedco that they were hiring, the first person I called was Neil Davis. And so Neil Davis is just an all-around ecosystem builder here in Maryland. And when I had my first startup, he was the first person to ever hear me pitch. And he tore my pitch apart. And back then, he worked at an incubator in town. And so when I saw the email from Teco, I knew he was—he had been working at Techco for like a year at that point. And so the very first thing was I got up from my desk, walked outside of, and I called him and I was like, Neil, do you think I'd be a good fit for this job? And he told me that Techco was making some changes and he thought it was worth it. that I gave it a shot. I probably don't apply for that job if he didn't tell me that. Right. And so I would say, you know, those two stand out very instrumental in this process, but there have been tons of people along the way who I've, I've called on and asked for help and support and just advice, you know, because, like, you know, I've been doing investing for a little more than four years now, but, like, I'm still fairly young in the industry, right? So there's still a lot for me to learn, and I'm always looking to learn. Um, so there's been tons of mentors and advisors along the way. I think that's important.
0: Well, that's the reason why I wanted you to talk about your mentors and the people that helped you along the way because you kept saying this is serendipity. And um, it, it, I don't want an audience to walk away thinking that, oh, well, he just got lucky. You know, that's the only reason why he was able to do that. I may not be able to do it. So I want them to see that they, you know, you have to build these relationships and have a community. community who is willing to help you. And you have that personality. Number one, everyone loves you in the DC and Baltimore area. I'm sure in other places. Um, I remember, I remembered when you went to that program last year in Northern Cal and, and I just remember that how nervous you were, whether you want to get in or not and you did, and then you got the scholarship. So it, it, it did take a community to help you to get to where you are. And, um, you know, I'm sure everyone who has helped you are very proud of you. I hope so, but you know, we still at the starting line. I got
1: a lot <laughs> more work to do. So I, I'm doing the best I can to, to you know, make everybody proud, but you know, I still got some more work to go. I'll get there.
2: Well, and I think the other, the flip side of that, Mac, is that you give a lot to the community, right? So I've heard you talk about it and I've seen you practice it, that not only do people reach out to you and give you help because they think that you're worth it and that you're deserving and that you're an awesome person, you pay that forward. Like I've watched you talk to entrepreneur upon entrepreneur. I've watched you like make those um, connections. And so you you really practice on the other side of that. And I think that's part of this this model, right? Is that you can't just expect everybody to put a hand out and help you up. Like you have to be read, ready and willing to do the reverse. And I've seen you just always be, be there to do that for the community. So I think that's important, an important to note too.
1: I mean, it's a pay it forward type of industry, right? Like to Zena's point, I'm not here, if not for the people who help me along the way. And so I try to do that for, you know, people coming behind me. So like, if you follow me on Twitter, like every now and then randomly I'll post that I'll have a zoom call for, you know, entrepreneurs to talk about early stage investing about, about raising early stage funding, or I'll do um, I've been doing a lot recently um, zoom calls to talk to emerging fund managers, people who want to break into VC and talk about what is the process? What does it look like to raise a fund? What does it look like to, to join a company? How do you break into VC? Because there's a lot of this stuff that we don't talk about. You know, nobody really sits down and tells you how this stuff works. So, I try to offer that as much as I can along the way.
2: So let me go back to a question I asked a little bit ago. And then we really want to hear about where you're going and what your plans are, for sure. Um, When in your mind did you say to yourself, hey, I could have my own fund," And tell us about the process of you kind of getting there and saying, I could do that.
1: I don't know. I mean, like I said, it was just that one entrepreneur, like seeing her go through the struggle. I knew I had to raise a fund. It wasn't whether my I could do it. It's just like I had to because, like, mm. if I didn't, somebody like her never gets funded, right? And so that was just a thing of like, okay, mm-hmm. this is what I'm going to have to do. So what does that mean? And so then it was just about you know talking to people and trying to understand the process, and then you know going to that um, program uh, VC lot, You know, getting some very structured education around it really helped, um, and you also gave me the you know being around other investors. And being able to show my acumen and my knowledge gave me the confidence of like, okay, I, I I knew I could do it. Like I knew I was going to do it, but that gave me the confidence of like, okay, I'm I'm good enough to do this, right? Like I'm ready to do this, kind of a thing. And so that's that's really what it was. And then from there, it was just about putting it down on paper and, and structuring it out and writing it out. But um, I don't know. I had pretty supreme confidence in myself, so it's like once I figured out I was going to do it, I was going to do it. That's kind of how that went.
2: But I do think. Yes, you should, and you do, and I love that about you. And I appreciate you kind of walking through the seeing the need, feeling the need, and kind of being pulled forward. And then these other things came along with it, right? Having to understand how it works and looking at it. Because I heard you even as you were talking about being an entrepreneur, right? As you were an entrepreneur, you weren't thinking to yourself, let me figure out what I need to do in this tiny little sphere to make this company worthwhile. Rather, you were like, wait a minute, let me think about this whole system and how it works. And I think that's part of what has made it possible for you to be where you are and to do these other things, right? Is that there's absolute confidence, but also then you get in and you learn and you figure it out. And so it's not like it was overnight. You're like, oh yeah, I'm going to raise a fund. There is a process to it.
1: Yeah, it's a process to it, but like I think that just speaks to my personality, right? Like my my first job when I dropped out of school was as a DBA, as a database administrator, and I didn't have any database training at the time. They asked me if I could do it and learn, and I was like, sure. Of course I could do this. And then it was up to me to learn and make sure I could do everything. So when I started to work three weeks later, I could actually like keep up with the work. Um, you know, so like I I always feel like, you know, if you give me enough time, I can figure out how to do just about anything, right? And so same thing with this. But then again, like, that's just irrational confidence from, like, who knows where that comes from? Like, I just figured <laughs> I could figure it out. If you give me enough time, I feel like I'm smart enough. I, I can learn enough to, to put it together.
0: So COVID happened, and you launched this firm, in, uh, uh, the investment, uh, Railbreed, in June, you said. That's when you started tweeting about it.
1: That's when I started thinking about it and getting through it. But like, I officially quit my job at the end of August and like made it a thing.
0: Okay. So COVID happened. So weren't you concerned about this pandemic and people were a little nervous about hold, holding on to their money, but you took a risk and you said, you know what, I don't care. So were you, you know, what made you kind of push past through that?
1: I mean, somebody offered to give me 250000 and told me to go raise a fund. So I figured I just got to figure it out. Like, that's, that's all it was. Like, I didn't think too hard about it. I was like, all right, you know, if you say so. Like fundraising is hard anytime, COVID or not. So it's just like, I'm either going to be able to do this or I'm not. Right? So like I started socializing the idea and mentioning it to people. And I started getting more people saying, yeah, I think I can give you some money. This sounds interesting. You can do this. And so after you hear that a couple of times, she's like, all right. We're just going to do this, like, this is what's going to happen. Oh um, so I don't know if I thought too hard on it. I just like, I just knew that you know I wasn't excited about the fundraising process, <laughs> but I knew that's what was going to be coming, and you know, I'm in the thralls of it now, you know, actively fundraising everywhere I can. You know? If you want to be an LP and rare breed, just go to rarebreed.vc and click the become LP button. <laughs>
2: well, and I don't know about you, Mac, but also. COVID hit, and I think it was the first month and a half that people were freaking out. But then we saw people still writing checks. We saw people still investing. It wasn't like things stopped, right? Like, I mean, definitely things have, have changed. People are looking at things differently. But it's not like all the money dried up. Yeah, but then here's the other
1: serendipity part of it, right? So, like, we saw COVID hit, money got tight, and the stock market started acting funny. But then the stock market stabilized. And stabilizing stabilized in the way people weren't expecting. And so then we saw money flowing. And then George Floyd got killed. And then everybody started talking about Black people. So, of course, me as a Black fund manager, I, you know, I fit into a new ethos that everybody is talking about, right? I, I I am part of the new initiatives. And, you know, that was to my benefit, you know. Alpaca Ventures or Alpaca VC, they put out a call saying they wanted to invest in five diverse fund managers. They ended up picking six. I was one of the six. That initiative came out of, you know, the response to George Floyd, right? Like, I- I'm so happy they selected me, which like, I don't know if that happens without that catalyst. And so like, it just so happened around the time I was getting more active on Twitter And I meet this founder in Texas and an advisor of mine tells me to go raise a fund. It's shortly after what happened to George Floyd and like people talking about diversity and venture being an important thing. So like timing actually worked to my benefit (laughs) more than anything. Um, And, you know, again, like I'm doing all this raising in public, you know, rolling funds had just recently come out, like Mm -hmm. this was now a thing. So now I'm saying I'm doing something similar, but not exactly the same thing. Now everybody wants to know how I did what I did and what makes this different, you know? So, like, there was a lot of timing that happens. And, like, this is just, like, with any startup, right? Like, part of it is, like, having a good product and acquisition strategy and all this other stuff. And part of it's timing, you know? Like, it's almost any successful company will tell you there's some luck involved. And so, like, there's some there have definitely been some lucky things along the way. But, you know, to your point, I've also put in a lot of work. Like, I had the structure for what the fund was going to be, how it would work you know, the portfolio construction model, like all that stuff was done. I've been like working through over the last like year and a half already. Um, What I've been having a pitch deck, like all that stuff had kind of been getting worked on for a while. I've been cranking on that for a while. So like when the moment happened, I was ready for it, right? But, you know, I wasn't so, like COVID wasn't so much issue for me. It was just like, how long is all this excitement about investing in diverse fund managers going to last? And can I get in on this?
2: So you've talked about how you've taken some basic concepts and then you've either done them slightly differently or you're taking advantage of um new models or whatever. Tell us about what you've done and maybe more importantly, where you want to go. Like what's next?
1: So, you know, um we set up the fund and you know, we're getting people to to to, to invest in it. And so the goal is to get to 10 million. So um we're putting something i'll be writing an article soon talking about another way people can invest in our funds, and that's through their i r a so um there's a company called alto i r a which allows for individuals who are accredited investors to make investments into startups and into funds through the i r a right so hopefully opening up a whole another set- uh, set of potential investors for the fund um but I've had people ask me recently like what's the goal what what do i wanna be and NEA, New Enterprise Associates, one of the top venture firms on the planet, one of the older venture firms on the East Coast. Um, That's who I want to be. But I say that very specifically because a lot of the founders from NEA are from Maryland. Like, NEA is originally a Maryland-based firm. Many people don't know that, right? Like, their headquarters are now in Silicon Valley, but, like, they started here. What's even more interesting is the family <laughs> office of one of the founders of NEA, Section actually an LP in my fund. Now, that's because I developed a relationship with one of the um, sons from one of the founders of NEA. But still, like, the family office of a founder of New Enterprise Associates is an LP in my fund. That's pretty cool, right? And so I'm going to create a large, multi-stage venture firm based here in Baltimore that is Black-owned. That is what this is going to be right? That is the goal. Now, baby steps, you know, fund one, we're just getting started, you know, looking to raise $10 million. You still got a ways to go to get that we're going to deploy that into some really cool companies. And we, we have several companies lined up that we're looking to invest in. So hopefully I get to make all those announcements for the before the end of the year, fingers crossed. I get all the money. I can make all these investments and look forward to it. Um, But that's just, that's, the, that's where we're at. And that's the goal. So
0: yeah. You're mentioning some of the companies that you would like to invest in. Um, Without giving those names away, um, can you talk about their industries? Um, What industry are they in and what's the range?
1: Yeah, like esports and education, fintech, sustainable apparel, um, hair care tools, um, another gaming company. I mean, we're kind of all over the place in the kind of the, the kind of companies we're looking uh, You know, SaaS platform for sales. We, you know, we're looking to do a lot of stuff. Oh, a medical center. We're investing in the next generation medical center. <laughs> uh, based out of, it's a company based out of Harlem, ran by a black guy out of Harlem, New York. Now, granted, at, you know, a rare breed, we say we invest all over the country, but we look to invest in companies outside of, the major tech hubs, but we still invest there, right? But like Harlem, New York ain't a major tech hub. It's in New York, but like, you ain't never seen a black person start a medical center in Harlem. Like that's that's so th- and granted, like he's an amazing founder, right? Like one day we'll have another podcast I'll actually talk about the companies and everything. But um, you know, we're investing in all kinds of companies and all kinds of places. Um and one company that we haven't invested in but like just to give an example of like the kind of companies i get excited about like things that are different. I want to give this company a shout out cuz it's, it's interesting. It's a company called Hiki. H I K I. It's an app, right? It's a dating and friendship and connection app for people on the spectrum. Come to find out there really isn't a product on the market for people on the spectrum to connect and get together that's incredible like i I, but then you got to think about like an able-bodied you know person i never considered like if i was on the spectrum could i just go to tinder and like find somebody to date like it might be a difficult experience and you know the founder's a black guy who has a cousin on the spectrum who came to him one day really afraid that he was never going to find the family of his own and that's like the beginning that leads towards something like this, you know, um, I don't know if Rare Breed will end up being an investor in that company, but like that's the type of company that deserves a shot to do something amazing. But that's a founder that, you know, typically gets overlooked and you can imagine this probably an industry that typically gets overlooked. Right. But there's, there's a chance to do good there while also making a bunch of money, right? Like this like, just keep it clear. Right. There's, there's, there's economics here tied to this and so you know we're going to see and invest in a lot of different there's another company that we can invest in because at rare breed we have a no vice clause and as part of the no vices, we can't invest in alcohol companies but there's a company based in kentucky ran by three women called spiritless they make uh alcohol-free spirits or like almost alcohol-free spirits right the first product is that alcohol Is that
0: Almost alcohol free. How can it be?
1: It's um, like 0.0005. <laughs> like it's a, it's a I mean, tiny bit of alcohol. It's like, there's really like nothing in it. Like, you're not going to taste it or anything. But they make um, alcohol free bourbon, right? And it's like, huh, three women in Kentucky making alcohol free bourbon. That makes sense. You know, hitting on these trends of like, you know, the Gen Z trends of being healthy low calories, you know, all this kind of stuff, but still like more than just the bourbon itself, but being able to make the drinks that you make with bourbon, being able to make an old fashioned and stuff like that without the alcohol, like that's interesting. And there's three women in Kentucky, like yes, you know, spiritless.com. Like I ordered a bottle for myself. Like I can't wait to get mine, you know, but like, companies like that, that we get to see and find, it's amazing. And so, you know, I'm really excited about the companies we're going to back and support. And, you know, we'll have another one in the future where I can actually talk about them and say how cool
0: they all are. And people are finding (laughs) you. These companies are finding you versus you going out and looking for them.
1: A lot of them are finding me. Right. But like, I still like, I do a lot of office hours for a lot of accelerators, like accelerators all over the country. Right. So like, you're not going to see a lot of VCs who do office hours for like black girl ventures in their pitch competition. Cause a lot of the companies are small businesses and not really all venture backed businesses, but there are a few that are. There's one company that came out of their a recent cohort that I'm really interested in. Um, or like the velocity accelerator in Birmingham, Alabama. How many VCs, you know, looking to give, you know, office hours to entrepreneurs in Birmingham, Alabama, this guy will, you know, so like, I still got to do my job to get out there and find these companies too. But yeah, I have a lot of companies coming out to me, probably too many. Like I'm inundated with folks every day, but you know, I got to meet and connect with and talk with as many founders as possible. And so that's what I do. That's what I love. It's the fun part of the job.
2: So you talked about the fact that what you're looking for is things that are different, right? Things that are game changing, like just like any other VC would look for, right? I mean, you've got to bring money back for your LPs. And that's the name of the game. Is there any other criteria that you're looking for in founders specifically? Like, what is that? Is, is there any criteria?
1: Yeah. So the criteria for us is one, we're industry agnostic, but we don't do life sciences, right? Like, that's just not our skill sets. But if it's a software company, we like to see a clearly repeatable or unique customer acquisition strategy. You don't have to have a lot of customers, but you need to know how you get your customers right so that means i get really excited about entrepreneurs who are like obsessed with customer uh customer acquisition and customer experience because the two go hand in hand and then we like physical products typically in consumer markets like consumer physical products and markets that have lacked innovation in 10 or more years right like what's the next generation you know like Quibi. i'm like not Quibi, 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 Quib, Quib, the the toothbrush right like the the subscription electric toothbrush, like that's a great company. Um, a great example of this is a company called Windmill. They make, I believe it's the first smart in um, window AC unit, <laughs> right? Like that just makes sense. Like when you want to in, like if you, if you have a nest at home and you live in an apartment, when do you want to have like a window AC unit that can connect to your nest? Like that just kind of stuff makes sense. Um, so like things like that are really cool to me. Um, so those are the two things that we really key in on. And so like, even from the early stages of a company, you can still start to really start to key in on your customer acquisition strategy. And you don't have to have, like I said, you don't have to have a lot of customers. Um, but if it's a software company, we'll probably almost rarely ever go pre-product. Like that's not really a thing. Pre-revenue, we can get there depending on your, how your customer acquisition, but for physical products, we can go pre-product for some physical products. Like if it's something truly unique and innovative, something really different that could be really game-changing we can go pre-product and uh, we will go pre-product on a few things. So.
2: But other than that, you're not looking do. for any particular characteristic of a founder. You're not, like or a company. So it doesn't have to be, for example, social impact or anything like that. You're going broad. All right.
1: Bring it all <laughs> on. I'm here to make money. If, if, if you make big bucks, I'm here to make big that?
2: bucks. Are you looking for anything specific in your LPs?
1: If you are willing to write me a check. <laughs> <laughs> thank you I, I am i am not in a position to be turning down money for fun like look i gotta be honest with myself right like i am a first time black fund manager right with a limited track record like i have a track record but it's still limited right so to that point like there's only so much i can point to outside of the companies I picked already and the way I evaluate companies, like I'm not going to have all the metrics and all the historical things you can point to. What I am going to have is a really unique perspective and unique deal flow. And if you believe in that, you can believe in rare breed and what we're doing. If you don't, I I get it. But you know, when fun one's a hit, you know, fun two will still be here. So come back to fun two (laughs) and fun three. I'll still be around, but don't worry. Fun one's going to be a hit. So when we get there, you know, your money's still going to be good for fund two and fund three. I ain't going to turn you away. Still want you. Fair
2: here. enough. And and I do like how you are that, that you're that you're taking money from, um, LPs that aren't writing huge checks, right? So you're you're able to do that. You set up to do that, and that you're not um and you're making it easy in other ways too, like via the IRA, for example. So that's really cool.
1: Tell us am trying a- to find any way I can get people to give me their money. <laughs> <laughs> give me your money so I can make you more money. That's how this works. Like my Absolutely. job is to make
2: you more money. Tell us about your infrastructure. You talked a little bit about your team. Who's your team? What are they doing? Um, what are you looking to do next? Because you told us kind of where you are right now and where you're looking to be kind of bigger than the NEA. What's in between? Like, who's your team now? And kind of what's that going to look like?
1: So I have a venture partner by the name of Jonathan Kroll. He works at Sparrow Ventures in, um, in Silicon Valley uh, as part of the Amityard group. And, you know, um, he's been an investor for the last few years. Before that, he was a CTO. and So he, he worked at startups for, for 10 years. Um, he also has like an MBA from Cornell. Like, you know, he's the smart guy of the, of the group. Uh, Amani, um, he's getting his MBA at Georgetown. He's a, um, a junior investor at the firm. And then also Ime Ime's getting his master's in engineering from Morgan State, my alma mater. Um, he's also a venture fellow from HBCUVC, Um was an intern at Intel Capital. You know, He's another junior investor at the firm. So the four of us make up the Rare Breed team today. Um, I'm the only person full-time because like can't afford anybody else. But, you know, that'll change over time at some point. Um, but you know, that's, that's the team. Um, and then for infrastructure, you know, we got Carter for our admin, we got Anduin handling our docs and, you know, from a technology side, that's kind of where we are. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the team, how we're going about things right now.
2: What do you want people to know about Rare Breed? I mean, obviously write the check, write the check to Mac, go get on rarebreed.vc right now and give him money. So that's number one, of course. <laughs> but but other than that, like obviously you've talked about your investment thesis and who you're looking for. You've talked about kind of some of the criteria. What don't people know about rare breed? What else do you want people to know and think about or watch for when they think about what you're doing?
1: At Rare Breed, we really care about, we care about not just being different and not just changing venture, but we care, we care about people and community. So even if you follow me on my Twitter, I call the folks who follow me on my Twitter account, my community, right? So when I say I do things to pay it forward, I always do a call out to the community to do the same, right? And you see it, you know, I'll do something where like today I'm paying the forwards, pay it forward Saturday. I'm going to do a Zoom call to aspiring VCs. The next thing you know, somebody else will say, I'll work on people's pitch decks. You know, I'll do office hours for entrepreneurs. I'll give some marketing advice to entrepreneurs. Like, we care about building communities and supporting people and, and making sure that everything we do is accessible, right? So, like, even the entrepreneurs we don't invest in, we're here to support and help and give real advice and real feedback along the way. Um... And we're we're an organization that cares all across the board, and that's core to the DNA of who and what we are and what we will be, you know. We talk a lot internally about as we grow, what does that look like? You know, what does it look like to hire people in the future? And, like, how do we have hiring practices where we don't just hire the same people everybody else is, right? Like, how do I build a firm so that, it's never set up that I could I myself couldn't get a job in my own firm. Like, how can I build a firm where I don't get to the point where I feel like I'm so big where if somebody who has a resume that looks like mine, I don't turn them away. Cause if you look at my resume, like I don't have a college degree. I don't have a finance background. I've had two startups, one with a small exit and one that failed. You know, like I'm I don't compete with the Harvard's and the Yales and the Stanfords, right? I don't I don't compete. With you know the, the 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 degree in finance or being an investment banker, like I personally don't on paper don't compete, but if you take you know ten minutes to talk to me, you know I compete you know like all day every day, right? So how do we create a firm where that's not a thing, you know? We think about things like that. And yes, it's really early in our firm. Like, you know, like, you know we, we have a long way to go, but we think about that stuff now because it's core mm-hmm. to the DNA of Rare Breed and what we want to build at Rare Breed.
0: As you know, Mac, we're trying to change our show up a little bit and talk more about Black wealth creation using through entrepreneurship. And it sounds as if you are on the way to helping a lot of these black entrepreneurs build wealth. And I know that was intentional, but my question to you is, how can, what other advice can you give to these entrepreneurs as they get out here? You're you're gonna help, you know, start investing in them. What advice can you give to them to help Keep this momentum going in terms of what, what, what are the gaps, what's missing out there, and what else do we need to do? So
1: my advice to Black entrepreneurs specifically, as they go through the process of looking to raise funds or, you know, to get in and to build their company, is don't focus on raising capital. Focus on building a strong company that has really good economics and has strong customer acquisition strategy and can retain your customers, right? Like uh, be as innovative and unique with your customer acquisition and strategy as you are with your product, because that's what's going to get you paid, right? like Just because you have a great idea, just because you get in front of me doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a yes and get a check. But if you have a strong company, you'll get money, right? But you start there like don't make this all about investment because investment's not the goal like investment's a tool like you know investment's a tool to help you go faster. That's all it is. It ain't the goal like just because you raise a million dollars or whatever or because you raise five million dollars doesn't mean anything right like there's so much more that needs to happen. so focus there first don't worry about all the other stuff, right like it'll come like build your network and build your company. As you build your network and build your company, conversations will start to shift over time. Like the conversations you have with people, the the more revenue you start bringing in, the more customers you start bringing in, those conversations start to shift real quickly. Right? They start to change from how you doing to what are your numbers to are your numbers still that high to have you thought about raising some money, you know how much do you think you would need? Like those those transitions happen, and that's really what you want to get to. So, you know, start off with building the best company you can build, you know, start off with having strong user acquisition strategy. And then after that, figure out a way to retain those customers. And then all the other stuff comes. If you get too caught up in this fundraising thing, you know we get caught up doing, thinking about and doing the wrong things. Great
0: advice. That is great.
2: Well, Mac, we are super excited to see what's next for you. Obviously you're not going anywhere since we've managed to loop you in as a co-host. <laughs> We were really smart to do that early on, weren't we? (laughs) Um, um, But we're just so excited to kind of talk about what you're doing. and, And I'm just so excited to see you do this. I know this has been a dream for a while. And I've been able to be somewhat firsthand to watch that process. And that's been really cool. Yeah. So we wish you luck. We, we hope everybody will go to rarebreed.vc. Check it out, learn more, write a check if you're able. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and if you're not, keep keep um, keep um your eyes peeled for what Mac's going to do in Rare Breed and maybe you can write a check. Absolutely.
0: Some point yes. uh, Mac, I want to say the same. I know we all had to, um, the one thing I do miss uh, is seeing everyone in the studio and due to COVID, we all had to, you know... Um, do this remotely. And I think the hardest thing is, is that, you know, normally we have these great conversations um, after the show is over. So um, hopefully uh, we we will be able to go back to those days, but until then we will, we will definitely be supporting you and watching you and keeping up with you as the best way as we can, even though we're not able to see that wonderful face of yours.
1: Well, thank you so much for the love and the support. Uh, I'm lucky and and happy to be part of the Get Found, Get Funded team. So I'm not going anywhere. I'll be here, everybody. But um, it, was, it was cool to share this with y'all, and, and thank you. Um, I wouldn't be here without all the friends and family and support. So I appreciate you all.
0: And we appreciate you. And uh, we're hoping to have more guests like you on the show um, as we continue to explore this um Um, Building um, Black Wealth Through Entrepreneurship. Um, Aurelia came up with that one. So (laughs) Um, we are going to have more of these discussions. So we look forward to it. And Mac, you're going to be a part of those discussions as well.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: Check out all of our shows on your preferred podcast platform. Subscribe and write us a review. Don't forget to get all the show notes, key takeaways, and quotes on our website, GetFoundGetFunded.com and catch us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.